Welcome to Health Talks Now, bringing you the facts you need to keep you and your family well. We're happy you're tuning in today. Baptist Health is committed to providing compassionate, high-quality care that is centered on you. Listen to all of our podcasts to hear from Baptist Health physicians about the latest medical advancements and treatments. And get trusted information on timely health topics from our healthcare professionals. Whether you want to learn more about a specific condition or procedure or find tips for living a healthy lifestyle, Baptist Health is here to help you become a healthier you. All right, well, we're joined on the phone today with Caitlin Arvin, Lead Navigator at the Behavioral Health Clinic at Baptist Health Richmond. This is an important conversation as parents are focused on remote work environments, finances, and health concerns. We view children as resilient, right? Like we acknowledge the changes with playdates and time with friends, changes to routines and hobbies like sports, but we need to take some time today and discuss specifically the ramifications of COVID-19 and the effects on our children. As an expert in this field, Caitlin, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you, ladies, so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be able to talk about this and have this important conversation on this platform. So the pleasure is all mine. Of course. Start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and the work you're doing at Baptist Health. Originally from Louisville, I'm Kentucky, born and raised, and I'm now working at Baptist Health Richmond in a really lovely community that I'm thankful to be a part of. What I'm doing specifically at Baptist Health, I'm an LPCC, which is just really a compilation of letters that say that I'm a licensed therapist, and I specialize in crisis management and psychiatric evaluation. So what I'm doing at the hospital is I'm working one-on-one with folks that present in crisis at our facility and basically holding space for them to talk about what they're experiencing and guide them through that moment, and then I can make clinical recommendations that we decide on together, myself and the individual, you know, what is most going to be most supportive and helpful for them at that time. It's definitely my passion, and I love what I do, and I'm really, really grateful to be able to give that back to the community in that way. That's awesome. Just for someone who might be listening and unfamiliar with the term holding space, Can you break that down? What exactly do you mean when you say that? So to me, my interpretation of holding space is I'm allowing folks to come to me in crisis and basically approach them with no judgment Mm -hmm. and just allow them to express how they're feeling very genuinely and in a raw way and be there to support them and not have, you know, no stigma, no reactivity, just allowing them to be how they are and how they're feeling. And then we can, you know, I can empathize with that and and support them and then move forward. Sure. Which I think is really important in mental health because there is so much stigma surrounding what it is. Yeah, that's important. That's a very vulnerable time that you're entering their life to get an accurate and honest assessment and treatment plan. That's a great approach. Well, obviously this year has been difficult for everyone's mental health, but I think it's easy to overlook our children and assume they don't understand or they're not affected like adults have been affected, but that's just not the case. How do you think 
isolation and quarantine have affected our children's mental health? Are we seeing more cases of anxiety or depression in our youth as they've been away from family and friends? That's a really good point of conversation. So definitely important to think about our children and our youth and how they're processing this. But I know even as as an adult with a fully developed brain, it's hard to wrap around a global pandemic. I mean, we're all having trouble processing. So if you think about someone that's still in brain development and learning how to navigate the world, it's very overwhelming and and scary. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it is for all of us. So specifically, though, the question you asked about the isolation and the quarantine, how that is going to affect mental health, I think it's going to take some time to see the ripple effects overall of how COVID is having an impact on our youth, but there's definitely some immediate things we are seeing. First of all, a lot of our resources in our mental health community have been altered or discontinued or changed because of adapting to COVID. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things at least initially, weren't as accessible right. to te- to kids. And a lot of those resources, those foundational resources, I'm talking about basics like food and housing, child and family services involvement, and things of that nature yeah. were altered. And those resources, or the lack thereof, mm-hmm. is what I mean. They can cause distress. And oftentimes, not being in school or being a part of daily activities, yeah. sometimes kids that maybe didn't have that same structure at home, didn't have those resources, and that might be times where they see the most structured adult. And so that can be very distressing as well. And then, of course, it goes without saying, just the physical isolation for teens is hard because they're at a stage of development in their lives where social interaction is very important for them. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's probably one of the most important things where they're at developmentally. So it's important to try to foster any sort of connection that you can during this time to not completely discontinue it for them. And I can say from being in the field, we definitely have seen a lot of increased anxiety in particular. And I think that's Mm -hmm. because of the unknown of everything. Sure. Well, one thing that strikes a chord with your answer is the importance of a routine. And that's something I want to discuss now with you is especially among young people. Does this disruption to the routine from what we've seen this year, does it have the potential to upset their functioning? It does have the potential. I do think it has the potential to do that because in particular, you know, when teens are learning to navigate the world, they thrive on structure and routine. It's helping set that framework of functionality and what to expect, how to navigate through your day. And so particularly when something as unpredictable and unknown as a pandemic is occurring and not only is it disrupting their day-to-day, you know, children are like, and youth in general are sponges. They absorb what's going on around them. And adults, too, are their routine is thrown off. Mm-hmm. Then they absorb that. They see that. And it causes an internal feeling of uncertainty. So I think we must practice some radical acceptance of the fact that our routines are going to be disrupted, but then creating new routines that we have control over Mm. when adhering to as much consistency as we can will be important for teens moving forward. 
That's so good. Yeah, I love that. I see that even with my preschoolers, that if I simply tell them, okay, this is what's going to happen next, and then after that, we're going to do this, and this is how it's going to be, even if they're not following their routine, exactly what you said, just knowing what's coming relieves so much of that unknown for them that they can much easier adapt. Mm-hmm. They have the expectation set out already. Yeah. Sure. It's just easier for them to you know, fall into a new normal. Yeah. Let's talk to the parents listening. Maybe they're noticing their child is more withdrawn and lacks interest and motivation. At what point should they be concerned? How can parents distinguish between what might be considered teenage apathy versus more serious? I have this conversation often with parents when I work with them in crisis with their teens. Anyone that has been a parent or has a sibling or, you know, has been interacting with a teenager knows that teenage apathy is not necessarily uncommon. It's mm-hmm. actually probably part of, of their hormonal development and how they're changing. But around the actually average age of onset of a mood disorder is about 14. That's when we start to see symptoms. Mm. And that can be very confusing with typical development. So it's really important to know who they are as an individual and then start to recognize what is atypical of their personal behavior. So, of course, some big warning signs would be if this is a normally vivacious individual that's, like, very talkative and very social, and even a slight decrease in that, something that's not at their baseline, that's how we what we know to look forward to. Also, it's important to, if possible, establish relationships with your children's friends, their caregivers in their lives, because they're typically going to reach out to their friends as well to tell them how they've been feeling. So making a strong social network is really important. Having open conversations is very important. Typically, teenagers will start to engage in self-harming behaviors around this age. So looking for signs of cutting or or self-harm would be important. And then mood swings also are something to look forward as far as like rapid cycling. So I think it's pretty normal for teenagers to go through highs and lows Mm -hmm. kind of periodically. But when the mood starts to be very rapidly cycling, going from irritability to happiness to anger back to sadness and withdrawal, and when that's happening with higher frequency, and the duration of that mood swing is becoming different, that's something to be concerned with. And that's when we probably need to look into setting up some professional help to Mm -hmm. see what the best course of action would be. That's a really good tip. That makes good sense that not every kid is going to be the same. You need to know your kid and what's different for them. And I love the point of getting to know your child's friends too. So you Mm -hmm. also know who's impacting your child. Stress, anxiety, depression, these are not just adult issues, as we've already established. What are some of the symptoms a caregiver might notice that might indicate their child is struggling with their mental health? We mentioned some, the mood swings, looking for self-harm behavior. Are there any other things that stand out to you that you see on a pretty typical basis that are reported from parents or caregivers? Yes, so some signs of distress in general with teens, it's really important to know that they manifest differently than adults. Teens express themselves differently. They're in a total different mindset and a developmental stage in their life. So I think we had touched on earlier withdrawing behaviors as in not participating in their normal activities, losing interest 
in their normal activities is something to look for. It's typical for a child to explore new interests, but if there's something they're very passionate about and we start to see that joy dwindle, there's a star basketball player or a kid that loves music and loves art, but suddenly is just losing that light and passion for that. That's something to look at. We need to explore if there's a sense of of hopelessness there or, or lack of interest rather as well as, you know, withdrawing from their their social circle is important. A drop in grades, a change in school performance or other activities like volunteer activities, just a change in their their performance is something to notice, as well as physiological symptoms. That's very important in teens. Lack of sleep or sleep disturbance, appetite changes are very important to look at. And also just having conversation with your kids of how how is their mood? How are they feeling? What are they passionate about? What what is their purpose? And just getting some information from them about how they're feeling and if that's changing from what you know to be your kid. That's time to really have some deeper conversations. It's important, too, to note that we don't want to look for just one isolated symptom of distress in teens. Mm -hmm. It's It's an overall picture. It's hard because kids have a tough time at that age. You know, your teenage years, you're trying to figure out who you are and establish yourself in the world. So a little bit of distress in any of these areas is not concerning. But as a mental health professional, I would say it is concerning when we look at the big picture of the functionality, like Mm -hmm. you had said. And that's when we need to look at, okay, let's get some extra professional support here. Yeah, that makes sense. Do these symptoms vary by age? We've touched on the teenage years. Would you expect to see the same thing, say, in a younger child or an elementary school age child? Or would they do they express these worries or sadness differently than, say, a teenager? So when we're dealing with kids, you know, 10 and under, their perception of the world is different. They That prefrontal cortex, in their brain is still, you know, really under rapid development. So they can't express as complex or abstract thoughts as as teens start to develop and be able to do that. And so you're going to definitely be able to get more verbal, in-depth conversation out of a teen than you would a child, a younger child. So with, with younger kids, we're looking for behavioral outbursts more. Okay. This can be tantrum-like behavior, yeah. which can look like, crying spells, or it can look more aggressive, as in not violent in the sense, but just overt displays of aggression, like kicking and screaming. Also, we can look for them to express themselves in another outlet, like drawing. We can always Mm. look for, and and writing, they kind of express themselves that way. So definitely important to keep in context where this child is age-wise in their development. Mm -hmm and how they would be able to express themselves. That's a very good point. You mentioned the complex thought. Are children under the age of 10, are they having those complex thoughts? They just don't know how to articulate them? Or does the thought process not develop yet at that level until they're a little bit older? So children, in my experience, are, like you had said earlier, very resilient beings, and they're very aware of themselves. They're aware of their of their body and their minds, but the the communication is what changes over time. So it's the ability 
to communicate. As we grow older, actually our prefrontal cortex, which is a part of that brain that's responsible for a lot of our higher functioning and complex functioning, isn't fully developed until we're in our late 20s. So you can imagine as when you're younger and there's rapid growth happening, a lot of times we will recognize intuitively, kids will, that we have feelings like something is uncomfortable for me, I don't feel right about Uh something, but I just don't know how to express it. And the communication piece, is what really rapidly grows in teens. Mm -hmm. So that's why, though, it is, in my opinion, important for parents and adults and caregivers in younger children's lives to start modeling good communication Mm -hmm. at a very early age and giving space for children to talk about, express themselves, and asking questions. Like, tell me... I see that you're really upset right now. Tell me a little bit more about that. Or I noticed that you're feeling really down lately. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Or I'm, I'm here to listen in any way possible. Mm-hmm. So it will become easier for as children grow into teens to like express how they're feeling in a verbal sense. But I think at any time it's good to hold space for them. Sure. In, in the family setting and let them know it's okay to feel how you're feeling, but I do want us to talk about it and acknowledge it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. It's helping them acknowledge and understand what they're feeling and giving them words for it so they can later recognize when they feel it again and they know what to call it and they know that it's okay to feel it. It's identifying it like, Sometimes that's the hardest part for kids is, like, I know I don't feel right, but I'm not sure why, and I'm not sure how to say it. Mm -hmm. So it's identifying that, and then even if we can't elaborate it on it further, just letting them know that there's space to do that and it's safe to talk to their parents or caregivers about it is so important because that builds trust, and that makes it a safe space to talk about things. I have a four-year-old and I find it's helpful for her when I will kind of narrate back to her what's happening if she's having a tantrum or having a really difficult time with something. So instead of saying like, calm down or don't cry, instead of saying that saying, gosh, you're really upset right now. That really disappointed you, didn't it? What's going on with that? It gives her that tool to then know that, okay, it's okay to be disappointed. <laughs> and that's sure. what, that's what this feeling is. Yeah. You're giving her tools to articulate. Yeah. 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 Let's talk more about starting that conversation to get some tips. So we're assuming that there's someone listening right now to this conversation that thinks that they have some evidence that their child is struggling. We really hit home on younger children, but how do we start a conversation with a high schooler or even a college student who, who may be struggling? It's a good point because I know there's someone listening right now that says, I have a teenager yeah. or is thinking I have a teenager and they, they're not really up for talking. Yeah. And that's normal. You know, a little mm-hmm. bit of that resistance is normal. But what I would say would be to be resilient in your attempts to have those conversations, but planting little seeds there mm. are important. We might not get them to open up right away about everything that's going on, Mm -hmm. but planting the seed to let them know that it's okay to have that conversation is is the place to start. And it's coming from 
watching your language is very important when you're starting those conversations. And I think you modeled it earlier when you said, I don't have an exclamatory reaction Mm -hmm. to things. It's important to come from a calm place and just say, it's okay to feel however you're feeling. There's nothing wrong with that feeling inherently. Right. But I notice that that's different for you. Yeah. Or I notice that you haven't been sleeping, though, very much. Or I notice that mm. you are not interested in going to soccer anymore. Oh. Do you care to tell me why you feel that way? And giving them a little bit of power, right, mm-hmm. to have own it and talk about it. Because teenagers, they want independence. Yeah. They want to be able to make decisions. And although, you know, we're still here at that phase to guide them through that and help them refine their decision-making skills, Mm -hmm. we need to put the ball in their court a little bit and allow them the space to have the conversation. And if you continue to try, at least maybe there's one part of the day where you designate, this is the time where I'm going to, they're relaxed and they're comfortable and this is the time of day I'll try to have this conversation. And over time, allowing them that space to open up can be really helpful. And also with teenagers, having other adults in their life too that they feel like rapport and close to is important. Obviously, Mm -hmm. parents need to be in the know, but a coach, a teacher, a counselor at school, these are all folks too that can be checking in Mm -hmm. and implementing conversation. We'll be right back. At Baptist Health, we focus on the whole person body, mind, and spirit. Our behavioral health services provide care for individuals dealing with mental illness, such as anxiety, depression, and drug and alcohol dependency. With treatment plans tailored to meet each person's needs, we help our patients understand and manage their conditions. With locations serving the communities of Corbin, Richmond, Madisonville, Louisville, and Southern Indiana, Baptist Health is here for a healthier you. Find a behavioral health provider near you at baptisthealth.com slash provider. We're back with Caitlin Arvin to continue the discussion on youth mental health. Let's transition out of social media. There are numerous studies that show the impact frequent social media use has on mental health, the comparison, self-esteem concerns, bullying, etc. I'm sure you're treating the fallout from this long before this pandemic. But since we've been isolated so much this year, the use of technology has skyrocketed, I'm sure. Are we seeing adverse impacts on young people given the increased amount of time they're spending on screens and connecting with their peers through social media? Bullying is one of the top 10 identified concerns and challenges that teens go through. Hmm. So I do think with increased screen time is more opportunity for that to occur. However, I do also think that social media in a regimen with structure can be a positive thing during this time because it is a tool that's going to allow teenagers to still connect with each other if their family and they are practicing social distancing mm-hmm. and wanting you know, to be as safe as possible in the light of COVID. It's going to allow them to not only still connect with peers in a social way, but it can also give them access to clinical treatment. Like telehealth has been a huge monumental tool 
during all this to try to bridge that gap that I was talking about earlier of access to care. So I do believe that while social media can be a ground, if not used safely and appropriately for cyberbullying, mm-hmm. amongst other really harmful things, human trafficking, things like that, and teenage lives that are extremely high-risk behaviors, if parents are heavily involved monitoring social media use and it's used safely in an appropriate time context, I think it can actually be a positive thing and foster connections both socially and uh, clinically. Well, let's wrap up with the thing that's on everybody's mind right now, back to school. There's a lot left to be determined and much uncertainty still reigns as to what the coming school year will look like. So while we obviously can't answer the question, will we or won't we, we certainly have a vested interest in the safety of our community. Let's look at this issue from the mental health point of view. How do we deal with so much uncertainty? What are some coping tools that parents can share with their family as they navigate something so unfamiliar? Uncertainty is what's, in my opinion, clinically creating so much distress. We as humans like to have a sense of control over what's going on, and when we don't, it sends us into a bit of a panic. So Mm -hmm. the first place to start with the uncertainty is to practice some radical acceptance that we don't know exactly what the answer is. And then practice that radical acceptance, but moving into it, we're going to take this one step at a time, and there are many things that we can control, even though there are things that we can't. Mm -hmm. So shifting our mental focus onto what can you control is very grounding and it's very helpful, especially for kiddos going back to school. Here in Madison County, there's multiple options for children returning to the school year. As of, as of now, I know it's ever-changing. So parents having conversations with their kids about their options. Here's X, Y, and Z, what we can do approaching the school year. What do you think and tell me why? And then coming to a, a decision as a family is very helpful. And then practicing the good things that you do have control over will give you that sense of normalcy like your appetite, like your sleep, like your new daily routine that no is not the same as before, but this is our new routine and we do have control over this now. And then making it a priority to have some time in there for some self-care, for some joy, for some time to relax will be really important as well. The media and everything really focuses on what we can't control, which is going to stir up anxiety in anybody, but we need to shift the the overall mindset to bring it back down and be grounded. Okay, what can I control? And let's implement those things now. Sure. I love that. What are some self-care tips for kids? I think we spend a lot of time talking about, especially moms, making sure they get the self-care they need. But what about our kids? Right. So our kids do really need to implement the same self-care that we always, we as adults are now realizing are so important. I think adults can really model that self-care behavior for children and make it, and teens, and make it a priority. And some things that they can do, obviously, is to, is to make a daily routine and make, making a schedule to schedule time to address their overall wellness is so important. We're in a culture of hustle and bustle and get as much done in the day as possible. And it's Mm -hmm. easy to do. Um, It's the culture we live in. 
But making time for a balanced diet, making time for sleep, children and teens need an excessive amount of sleep. I mean, their body is rapidly growing. So giving them the basic foundational fuel they need, which is sleep, is very important. But also encouraging kids to learn about healthy relationships, what that looks like, and surrounding themselves with with a good community of people, be it individual friendships, intimate relationships, your church or your religious affiliation, school, learning what those look like so teens can cultivate a healthy life overall is really important, as well as giving them some de-stressing techniques. You know, that can be a physical activity, some way to release energy like running a sport, or it could be a relaxation technique like mindfulness techniques or yoga, as also as creative interventions like music, art, some type of creative modality to release some of that energy. All of these things are pieces that make a healthy puzzle, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes good sense. Absolutely. Well, there's a certain expectation of what school would look like this year. So another facet of this conversation is disappointment. Maybe it included field trips or dropping kids off on their first day of kindergarten. But now parents are facing purchasing face masks and understanding restrictions, potentially moving their child to non-traditional learning or homeschooling while juggling the responsibilities of life that existed before so much change. Is it accurate to call what people are feeling as they face this disappointment grief? What can families do in terms of all this change to adapt? I think it's very fair to say that we're experiencing grief right now, collectively. I mean, we're what we used to expect and what we were experiencing pre-COVID, you know, is no more. This is, yeah. I've heard the term new normal quite often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's very appropriate and understandable for children, teens, and families to to be disappointed and mm-hmm. grieve and wish things could go back to the way that they were mm-hmm. because that's what we're used to. Yeah. I mean, that's a normal human response. Mm-hmm. I think what families can do, though, in terms of this change, after practicing that radical acceptance, is to make new routines that make most sense to them and to give time to decompress and voice how they're feeling to process that, not to just stuff it all in and pretend that, okay, everything's fine, this is the new normal now. No, that's unreal, you know, not realistic. So let's talk about it and let's process it. And that... Speaking it into existence is is healing in and of itself. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're talking about how you're feeling, those emotions aren't as big and powerful anymore, and we can move through them. And there will, I think it's important to accept that there will be days of sadness. There Mm -hmm. are going to be days that are going to be harder than others. There's going to be days where if just getting the kids up and getting them through the day and it, that's going to happen sometimes, but realizing that overall, not getting stuck in those moments, realizing this is more of a wave, uh-huh. and we have to ride it through its highs and lows because it's a journey, and not getting stuck in one bad day or one bad moment is how I think we could approach moving through some of this grief and change. Caitlin, thank you for joining us for this important and timely conversation. Yeah, it's been a great discussion about concerning issues that are impacting a lot of our listeners during times of such uncertainty right now. 
You've given us helpful tips on dealing with various issues and you've covered a lot of ground. We now have practical strategies that we can start implementing with our own families. To get in touch with Caitlin or the Behavioral Health Clinic at Baptist Health Richmond, call 859-544-8171. And if you or a loved one are experiencing a mental health emergency or having thoughts about suicide, please don't wait. Go to the nearest emergency room or call 911 or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-SUICIDE. That's 1-800-273-8255. Join us next time and don't miss an episode by subscribing to Health Talks Now a podcast brought to you by Baptist Health. Thanks for tuning in to Health Talks Now. Staying healthy is a lifelong commitment, and Baptist Health can provide the support you need to lower your risks, improve your quality of life, and protect your long-term health. Visit baptisthealth.com to hear our other podcasts, learn about our services, and find more tips to help you stay a step ahead of your health. Baptist Health be a healthier you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast is not designed to replace a physician's medical assessment and medical judgment. Always seek the advice of your physician with any questions or concerns you may have related to your personal health or regarding specific medical conditions. To find a Baptist health provider, please visit baptisthealth.com.